0: We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Scott Klusendorf has a passion for defending the cause of life in the public square and helping others to do the same. At Evangelicals for Life, he gave a talk that laid out pro-life arguments from sheer reason that also line up with scripture. We hope this talk equips you to persuade others that all of life is valuable. I'm known as an apologist, and I should tell you what that is. An apologist is not someone who runs around and says he's sorry all the time. That's what husbands do. Listen to the ladies self-righteously laughing. We'll deal with you in a moment. An apologist is someone who makes a case for what he or she believes. And I am going to contend in my talk today, men and women, that we are all apologists now. The days of believing we can leave the defense of human life and dignity to a small group of professionals who do all the heavy lifting for us are over. All of us have got to do our duty, and be prepared to make a case for life. And I'm going to make it simple for you today. You don't have to have a PhD. You don't have to have a graduate degree. You do not have to have even a high school degree to do what we're going to talk about in the next 15 minutes. To make a persuasive case for life, you need to understand the pro-life argument and address three key questions. That's it. In fact, what's great about this, you don't have to worry about closing the deal. You know what your job is? My colleague Greg Kokel puts it real well. Your job is to put a pebble in their shoe. Have you ever had a pebble in your shoe when you're out hiking? It's going to wear on you and wear on you until you deal with it. We're going to put some pebbles in some shoes today. Here is the basic pro-life argument. It's real straightforward. It's help for, helpful for us to know our terms. Premise one, it's wrong to intentionally kill innocent human beings. Premise two, abortion intentionally kills an innocent human being. Conclusion, abortion is wrong. That's very straightforward. It's very clear. So, how do we, as pro life evangelicals, help focus public attention on that very clearly stated case for our view? And we're going to do it by making sure we are clear on three questions ourselves. And here's the questions we need clarity on. Number one, what is the unborn? Number two, what makes human beings valuable? And number three, what's our duty? Now, I've noticed that some of you are already taking notes faster than broke people at a Dave Ramsey seminar, and you're welcome to do that (laughs) if you want to. But the good news is I'm going to tell you at the end of the talk how you can get notes on what I'm going to say. Let's look at that first question. What is the unborn? How many of you ever read The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn when you were in high school? You may remember a remarkable exchange that takes place in chapter 32. Huck is late getting to Aunt Sally's house. And actually, Aunt Sally's a little confused to begin with. She thinks it's Tom Sawyer, but it's actually Huck Finn. And Huck shows up, and Aunt Sally's, where have you been, my boy? And Huck kind of starts constructing a story. Shall we say a lie? He says, well, ma'am, we were on a steamboat, and it blew a cylinder head. And Aunt Sally says, my gosh, was anybody hurt? No, ma'am. It killed a Negro, but nobody was hurt. Well, that's good, said Aunt Sally, because sometimes people do get hurt. What was just assumed about the black man? That he wasn't one of us. Notice how it was just assumed It wasn't argued for. And people do this with the unborn all the time. They don't come right out and argue why the unborn don't count as a member of the human family. It's simply assume they're not. I'll give you an example. Three years ago, on the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, the President of the United States, and I'll paraphrase his remarks, celebrating that Supreme Court decision that gave us abortion on demand, said the following, Today is a day that's good for all Americans. Again, I'm paraphrasing him. Well, Why is it good for all Americans? Here is the president's explanation. Because this is a nation where everyone deserves the right to pursue their own dreams. Mr. President, with all due respect to your office, does quote everyone unquote include the unborn? See, it was simply assumed the unborn aren't one of us. It wasn't argued for. Men and women, I am vigorously pro-choice on women choosing their own health care providers, their own careers, the men they wish to marry, the cars they want to drive, the pets they want to own, the relationships they want to form. I'm pro-choice on all those issues. But some choices are wrong, like intentionally killing an innocent human being simply because he's in the way of something we want. That's a choice a civil society dedicated to tolerance, inclusiveness, and diversity should not allow. The issue that divides us from our abortion choice friends is not that they're pro-choice and we're anti-choice. We're all anti-choice on spousal abuse, on corporations dumping toxins into our rivers, on child abuse, to name just a few things. The issue that divides us is this. We believe abortion intentionally kills an innocent human being, and they do not. That's the issue that divides us. You've got to answer the question, what is the unborn, before you answer the question, can we kill the unborn? And that's precisely the question we as Christians must confront the culture with. Well, I've raised the question, what is the unborn? I'll answer it. From the earliest stages of development, you were a distinct, living, and whole human being. I want you to hold your hand up like this right now, and I want you to begin plucking skin cells off the back of your hand. If your neighbor is not doing this, grab some skin cells off the back of his neck. Congratulations, you just sent a couple of hundred somatic cells hurling to their deaths on the lap in front of you. And every one of these cells contains your entire DNA encoding. Did you just commit mass homicide? No. And you know why. Each of these cells on the back of your hand is merely part of a larger living human entity, you. They are not distinct whole human beings the way you were when you were an embryo the way I was when I was an embryo. There's a difference in kind between each of our bodily cells and the embryonic human beings we once were. So when we look at the question, what is the unborn, the unborn are distinct, living, whole human beings. Now, I get that for some people this is tough. They say, I just don't see that little ball of cells as being one of us. Okay, I get it. But maybe there's a way we could help redirect our intuitions here. How many of you remember the days of analog film? Now, for those of you under 50, let me tell you the dark ages of photography. The way it worked for your parents was this. They had a thing called a camera. They would shoot a photograph. It would get recorded onto this stuff called film. You would then take the film out of your camera, put it in a little plastic canister, and after you shot 36 pictures, you took that little plastic canister, you drove it to the far corner of the parking lot of the supermarket where there was a little yellow shack called Photomat. You would then drop the film off, wait a month and a half for your pictures to come back, half of them overexposed. Do I preach truth, those of you that remember those dark days? The thing that was great, though, is Polaroid came up with a solution in the late 60s, early 70s, the Polaroid camera, and the way that worked is you would shoot a picture, it would spit out a white piece of paper, and you would have your picture after two minutes. Now, I want you to imagine with me, It is 1970. You are on a Mexican safari. And as philosopher Richard Stith points out, you just happen to snap a photograph of a black jaguar jumping across the trail in front of us. Black jaguars are almost never photographed. But you got it. And while you're waiting for that photo to emerge, and your your ecstatic National Geographic is going to make you rich, while you're waiting for that picture to emerge, I come up behind you, I rip the camera out of your hand. I yank the paper out of it and I tear it up. Are you angry at me? What if I said, what's the big deal? There's no Jaguar in that picture. That's just a white paper with a brown smudge. Would you be satisfied? You would look at me incredulous and you would say, are you out of your mind? The Jaguar in the picture was already there. We just couldn't see him yet because he was still developing. Men and women, from the one cell stage, you were already there. We just couldn't see you yet. Our culture needs to understand that second question we need to be clear on is not only what is the unborn, but what makes us valuable. If you are a single guy right now at this conference, you're going to love what I'm about to have you do. I want everybody on the count of three to start looking around the room and stare at five or six people. If you're a single guy and you've already seen a cute girl at this conference and you've been dying to make eye contact, now is your God sanctified moment. (laughs) Do not laugh. I met my wife that way. All right, go ahead. Stare around the room. Just look at some people, make them uncomfortable. All right, look back this way. What makes us equal? Our culture is obsessed with equality. They want marital equality, they want income equality social equality, but they don't have a good answer for what makes us equal in the first place. We Christians do. We are all equal, not because of some physical trait that we don't share equally and that may come and go in the course of our lifetimes. Rather, we're all equal because we equally and fundamentally bear the image of God. We have a human nature that reflects the image of our maker, and you either have that nature or you don't. It doesn't come in degrees like self-awareness does like physical abilities do. If physical abilities make us equal, we're not all equal. If self-awareness makes us equal and we don't share that equally, we don't have human dignity that's equal. There's only one thing that gives us value. We equally share the image of our maker. Now, I get that a lot of people who aren't raised in church would say, fine, I'll accept that you have value, but not that embryo. As Stephen Schwartz points out, There's four differences between you, the embryo, and you, the adult, and none of them are a good reason for saying you could be killed then, but not now. There's a difference of size, a difference of level of development, a difference of environment, meaning where we're located, and a difference of degree of dependency. And none of those are a good reason for saying you could be killed then, but not now. Size, there's your S for that SLED acronym. Think of the acronym SLED, you'll remember these. You were smaller as an embryo, but since when does body size determine value? Shaquille O'Neal, the seven foot two basketball star, is not more human and valuable than everybody in this room because he's a foot taller than most of us. What about level of development? Sure, you're less developed as an embryo, but why does that matter? Little, little hint here we need to stop letting people make us assume the burden of proof all the time. If they assert level of development is what gives us value, they need to argue for that. Why does development make us valuable? Two-year-old girls do not have a developed reproductive system. Are they less valuable than a 21-year-old young woman who does? Abraham Lincoln made this very same point when he would debate the issue of slavery. His opponents would say that black man differs from us. Lincoln said, yeah, he does, but not in ways that matter. And here's what Lincoln said. You say man A is white, man B is dark. Oh, it is skin color then? The fair-skinned man having the right to enslave the dark-skinned man? Take care. By that rule, you're a slave to the first person you meet with skin fairer than your own. You say it is not skin color. It's a matter of intellect. The white man, you allege, has superior intellect to the dark man? Take care yet again. By that rule, you're a slave to the first person you meet with an intellect superior to yours. You say it is not skin color, it is not interest, it's a matter, or or it is not skin color, it's not intellect, it's a matter of interest. The white man you allege has it in his interest to enslave the dark man, take care yet again. By that rule, you are a slave to the first person you meet who can make it his interest to enslave you. Do you see what Lincoln was doing here? Size, level of development, environment. Where you are does not determine what you are. If you flew here from New Jersey, you didn't stop being you. If that's true, If a journey of 700 miles from Chicago doesn't change you from one thing to another, how does a journey of seven inches down the birth canal suddenly transform you from non-human, non-valuable thing we can kill to valuable human being that we can't? And finally, degree of dependency. How does it follow that because you depend on another human being, you can be killed? There are some infants that are born that cannot tolerate formula. They can only tolerate the mother's milk. What would we think if the mother said, my body, my choice, that kid depends totally on me for survival, too bad, and she neglects the child and he dies? Size, level of development, environment, degree of dependency. Those are the only four differences between you, the embryo, and you, the adult, and none of them are good reasons for saying, you could be killed then but not now. What is our duty? Our duty is to step up and engage, and I'm going to tell you how to do it. I want you to think in closing to Thanksgiving next year, this year rather, Aunt Betty is visiting you. She's not a Christian. She does not hold your worldview, and she sh- she certainly does not get why you're pro-life. And between bites of turkey and stuffing, she looks at you and says, now tell me again why you're pro-life. Here is your answer in one minute or less. I want somebody to time me. Somebody, Do I have a volunteer that will time me on this? Okay, see me. I will make sure you get a free book for your benevolent, volunteering. Ready? Go. Aunt Betty, I'm pro-life because the science of embryology says that from the earliest stages of development, you were a distinct living and whole human being. And you know what else, Aunt Betty? There's no essential difference between that embryo you were and the adult you are today that would justify killing you back then. Differences of size level of development, environment, and degree of dependency are not good reasons for saying you could be killed then, but not now. Did I get it done in a minute? Eight seconds. Woo! 28 seconds! Yeah! <laughs> Question. Did I overtly cite Bible verses? But did I communicate biblical truth? Did I make an argument? Did I maybe, just maybe, put a pebble in Aunt Betty's shoe? I'm asking you to step up and do the same thing. Together, let's all be apologists. Let's go out there and give them heaven. Thanks for listening to the ERLC podcast. For more information, visit ERLC.com. And be sure to tune in next week to hear about the connection between the pro-life movement and racial reconciliation.